Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up on deck, we got Dr. Mike Bowman um, to talk about asthma, asthma and athletes, um, the things that trigger um, those effects and, um, and how to maintain, um, that condition. Um, so a lot of great information that, uh, Dr. Bowman has put out there. So, um, um, let's take advantage of it. All right. Let's get into the interview. Like, I appreciate you coming on. I know you're a busy guy, but I appreciate you taking your time and, uh, coming on giving the audience you know the wealth of knowledge that you have glad to do so it's it's fun one of the things that i have been passionate about throughout my career is teaching and uh teaching uh everyone from uh um, professors through students through families and patients so yes, that's what i do and what i enjoy yes sir yes sir all right <clears throat> so when we get started uh doc take us Take us back, you know, to the intermediate elementary years and, uh, you know, where you're from and, you know, catch us up, catch the audience up with that before we get into the the meat of things. (laughs) Okay. Um, I grew up in central Illinois and um, I wound up uh, going to uh, the University of Illinois. Uh, my dad was on the faculty there. And so over half my high school class went to the U of I. Uh, my wife grew up in Chicago and she was the only one in her class who went to the U of I downstate. Uh, so it was just a matter of uh, locality and perception and that sort of thing. Um, in, in my youth, I uh, did speed skating for a while and I played basketball for a little while and I tried out for uh, football and the and the coach said I wasn't mean enough to do it so uh, uh, that was not not a good thing to try Um, so I've been a spectator Um, then um, I decided at that point that um, if in terms of a career that um, helping other people was the most important thing. And I was very interested in biology. And so that meant that medicine was pretty much for certain what I was gonna do. Um, I wound up going to the University of Wisconsin for uh, medical school and grad school. And I got a PhD in genetics along with my MD. And uh, then I wound up going to Uh, Nashville to Vanderbilt for my pediatric training. And then at that point, I went into uh, my residency thinking I was going to be a neonatologist. But it turned out that I realized that five of the six 
neonatologists that I knew were actual jerks. And so I decided that was not for me. And so I wound up going into pulmonary, uh, which really wasn't a uh, a specialty at that point. Uh, But um, I did that. I went to Denver for my fellowship training. And then I stayed on the faculty there for three years and then went to Children's Hospital Los Angeles for 16 years. And then in 1999, I decided that if I was ever going to be a division head, that was the time to do it. And so I wound up looking around the country and MUSC turned out to be looking for someone at that point to start a children's lung program. And so I came here in 2000 to do that. And uh, that's what I've done uh, since then. And then I retired in 2016. Uh, but uh, I was involved in, in um, clinical care and teaching. When I was in California, I realized that um, even though I enjoyed research, that I, was, uh, I couldn't turn away from uh, patients in clinic to stay in the lab. And so I wasn't as productive in the research lab as other people might be. Also, I realized I had pharmacy phone calls and family phone calls and such. So uh, um, academic medicine, but focusing on clinical stuff uh, was the, the thing for me. So that's what, I, what I've done. Um, so let me in, ask you, Yeah, go ahead. That's your question. You know, when talking to athletes, you know, most of the student athletes, they pick schools based on comfortability, based on, you know, they knew, they knew a coach or uh, they were familiar with that, that college, you know, and you're, you know, deciding in your, uh, you know, extending, you know, studies in, in the colleges, what were the reasons why you chose those colleges? Where that, that just was a pathway into that career or were there some type of ties, some type of connectivity that made you, you know, choose those colleges per se? Well, um, when I went to Wisconsin, um, it turned out that um, on the the last day of acceptances, I was turned down at Stanford, and I had already been accepted at Wisconsin, and my sister lived there because she was going to law school, and so um, I didn't want to go to an inner city school at that point because there was chaos uh, all over the place. One of my friends interviewed at uh, um, uh, Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, and when he went for his interview, there were, uh, I guess, National Guard uh, wow. folks on, on the street corner with rifles. Wow. And I figured that uh, med school was tough enough without having to uh, deal with that sort of chaos because I had already had to step over Dow demonstrators in uh, uh, undergrad in order to get to my lab and such when I was doing research. So this is um, 60s, I would say. That was in the 60s, yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I graduated from college in 68 and then went to Wisconsin and finished there. I got my PhD in 72 and uh, finished med school in 75. Got you. Uh, got you. Well, Doc, looking back um, and think about you know, the, the professors that you, you, you had in your different, you know, studying, um, I guess pick, pick one and, and, and what did you learn from that professor and, and how did you, how do you apply that today? <clears throat> um, 
probably the um, um, person who stood out the most other than my, my PhD research professor who um, was amazing. Uh, but in terms of clinical stuff, the doctor at Wisconsin who uh, taught me physical diagnosis, which is how to do a physical exam and how to learn from what you observe and see and hear. Um, he was just remarkable. He was a former dean of the med school and um, he taught me to pay attention to what I saw, what I heard, how to ask the right questions of the patient so that I could decide or go in the right direction that you don't have to do a shotgun approach in terms of lab work and everything. You can take it, um, focus on, on what you think is going on. And then uh, if that doesn't work out, you're continually testing your hypothesis of mm -hmm. what is uh, likely to be going on, what's likely to be effective treatment. And that's been the way I've approached it ever since. And that's the way I approach patients in terms of this is how I put it together. I tell the families that this is how what I think is going on. We're going to act on that. This is the medicine. And as long as you take it, then we'll see how it works. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, we'll need to make some changes. Yes, sir. And <clears throat> the next one is students. Um, um, and, and students that's, you know, coming to, you want to be in that career field um, and you're dealing with them or, or, or have you, what have you learned from your students, if anything, and how do you apply that? I've learned a lot from them because they um, are continually a challenge. They ask great questions and uh, make me go looking for answers and approaches, and they will be the ones to say, well, why wouldn't this work? And um, sometimes they say, it won't work because we've tried it before. Other times, well, let's see about that. Another thing that I've tried to do with residents and students is to get them involved with the schools. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was very involved with the schools uh, during my, my uh, time at MUSC. And um, we even one day had an, an asthma day with the river dogs. Uh, we wound up getting uh, um, the kids from three elementary schools downtown to come over to the river dogs park. And we used it as a fun, but an educational time. And they got to meet the third baseman who was a patient with asthma and talk to the trainer about how they approach uh, athletes with uh, uh, medical issues and such. So it wound up being a, a fun event. Unfortunately, uh, the River Dogs time uh, and being in town doesn't fit the um, um, testing schedule for Charleston schools. Uh, so we right. only managed to do it once. Uh, because the schools couldn't take the kids out of school when they were preparing for final exams. Uh, but, but that was a very successful thing. And I, I think it's something that should be done more. Good, makes sense. And, and last is um, your patients. Like, what, do you, what have you learned from them and how do you apply that? Because something I read in your bio about um, health literacy action team. And you know, once once you explain the um, you know what you learn from your patients, explain why was 
health literacy action team and implement it? And um, what were some benefits from that? It's it's something that is crucial that um, it's now recognized that something like 70% of Americans and maybe even a higher number can't understand uh, some medical discussions. Um, it's like no matter how well educated you might be, uh, when someone uses the cancer term, you lose out on everything else in the discussion. Mm. Um, we're always told as physicians nowadays to talk at a fourth or fifth grade level. Right. And my feeling is that most on the, on the speaking side don't know what a fourth or fifth grade level is. So what I would teach students is to use no three syllable words that if you use one and two syllable words and only a rare three syllable word that you're likely to get it across to everybody. And um, it's so crucial that um, we can't be in the home where uh, kids are taking their medicine or not taking their medicine. And the family needs to understand the parent needs to be able to explain it to the to the grandparent who watches the child after school and that sort of thing. And so uh, education that is clear cut is crucial. And one of the parts of the health literacy is what's called the um, teach back method, which means that uh, we wind up uh, um, asking the, the patient or the family after the uh, event or after the clinic encounter, um, what did they say? What, what are you supposed to do? Because many times if we just say, do you have any questions, especially shy folks um, who are cowed by the doctor uh, will say, no questions, no questions. Mm -hmm. And yet they may not really understand. So if, the, if we put it on the um, caregiver as the, um, how good a job did I do teaching you um, then they may be willing to say, well, I really didn't understand mm. how I'm supposed to use this inhaler mm. or uh, do I have to take it every day? So we would wind up asking our clinic nurses after we left the room, they would ask the family, so what did Dr. Bowman have to say today? Yeah. What are you going to do when you go home? Because if they don't understand what we're asking them to do and why, yeah. um, they're not going to do it. Uh, it's a big deal to ask someone to take a medicine twice a day. That's 14 right. times a, day, a week right. that they have to take a medicine. And we really have to convince them that it's worth doing that. Because uh, even for doctors, we're notoriously bad at taking medicine ourselves. <laughs> and so uh, convincing the family in words they understand that, that are not demeaning, just there, there are uh, uh, less complicated, less jargon, less medical jargon terms that you can use to get the explanations across. That makes sense. In this time, my message, we got Eric Watson. Professionalism should always be there um, for officers, regardless of the, the attitude of the driver. And in most drivers you stop, you know, they're upset because you stopped for number one, there is a big inconvenience. 
and they're hoping and praying that they don't receive a citation or a ticket because now, you know, there's money out of their pocket. So police officers and deputy sheriffs have to understand that uh, that's so it's going to be natural for that driver uh, to have a, a kind of negative attitude towards you uh, because of those those factors. Uh, but then the police officer need to maintain that professionalism uh, and don't don't uh, stoop, uh, stoop down to that level. Uh, now, now that's where the breakdown of communication happens. happens. Now let's get back to the interview. And considering COVID, you know, and I don't know how about the complications. I know what's, you know, in your chest area, uh, what have you, but let's add that on top of uh, asthma, right? And I know, I don't know how well you deal with athletes, but let's take athletes out the picture right now and talk about COVID and asthma. Um, what were some issues you, you've seen, you know, this past year and what are some resources that, you know, families or uh, people that suffer from asthma can can go to right now. Hold on just a second. Let me close the window. It turns out my neighbor has his yard work being done. Just one okay. second. Not a problem. So <laughs> less background noise. Anyway, um, when people die of COVID, they either die of uh, pneumonia or total body circulatory failure. Uh, but lung disease is a major part of that. And one of the, uh, they always talk about pre-existing comorbidities or conditions that make the outcomes worse. And lung disease is usually one of those, but surprisingly as has not been nearly as, as high on that list as COPD or emphysema. And in uh, uh, some areas, cigarette smoking is viewed as a major um, uh, bad outcome predictor. Um, so why, what I uh, have told people, and I've, I've written some stuff for pediatricians around the state to help them dealing with their families uh, where asthma is in the, in the children. Um, the most important thing is to keep your asthma under control uh, because if it is uh, under control, then uh, you're less likely to need prednisone. You're less likely to have major lung symptoms if you do catch COVID. Um, there's now some, some feeling uh, that asthma medicines, the inhaled steroid medicines that people take if they have moderately severe asthma, that may actually be protective because it turns out that apparently those medicines will um, kind of turn down the um, uh, places on cells where the COVID virus attaches. So actually, uh, it may be that using uh, some asthma medicines may help people when they're first infected. Um, but you're very definitely right that lung disease is a major problem and a risk. So one thing that families know when they have asthma, they know signs of respiratory distress. Kids know, 
I'm this is something's wrong. I'm having a flare up. And so um, they may be able to tell their parents sooner that they've they've got something bad going on uh, compared to other kids who don't have any experience with lung problems. Got you. And, you know, I want to I want to hear your overall um, philosophy and approach when it comes to asthma in athletes. Right. Because I did some research and it said mortality um, um, each day, 11 Americans die from asthma. There are more than 4,000 deaths due to asthma each year. Many are avoidable with proper treatment and care. In addition, asthma is indicated as contributing factor for nearly 7,000 other deaths each year. So I wanna hear you know, your, your take on these three topics and let's talk about f- first prevention. I think the, the, most, the, the biggest challenge overall is recognizing that, that someone has asthma because um, folks don't get a tattoo on their forehead that says, I have asthma. And so uh, we try to get parents, teachers, PE teachers, and trainers to have a sharp lookout for youngsters who show symptoms that they might have asthma. If kids wheeze, uh, which is a sort of sound, um, that is more likely to get someone to recognize that asthma is there. But if they cough, it can be called bronchitis. It can be viewed as another cold. Um, I've even had kids come in where um, uh, the pediatrician or their family doctor has said they have sinusitis and the child doesn't even have sinuses yet. Uh, Mm. So the the cough variant asthma, uh, which functions the same, uh, is somewhat more of a challenge. So we need to, to make the diagnosis first. And then uh, asthma medicine is uh, in two forms. There is rescue medicine, which is generally albuterol, which is a quick reliever that opens up the airways. And then there are controller medicines, which I mentioned before, the inhaled steroids that decrease the, the junk in the airways and the the long-term changes. So uh, when folks have enough problems that they have symptoms at least twice a week and they need their albuterol twice a week or more, or they wake up twice a month at night with shortness of breath, then they need to go on controller medicine. And a lot of families and doctors are reluctant to put the diagnosis of, of asthma on a child. Um, they they want to say, oh, it's something else. It's another cold or it's uh, allergy season. And so um, there are a lot of, it takes some degree of salesmanship, I guess, or recognition and determination by the pediatrician to recognize that this is what's going on. Um, when folks uh, don't take their medicine, they can get into big trouble really quickly. And a lot of the deaths from asthma come from folks who have not been taking their controller medicine. They've been depending on the reliever. And at some point, their airways are so closed down that they can't be reversed and they just suffocate. 
Um, and that can happen. I mean, a lot of the folks who die of asthma are found passed out on their bathroom floor, clutching mm. their rescue inhaler uh, because they didn't um, do what they what they needed to do. Um, so the um, the reason there are more now is not clear. In 1980, I think. Uh, the incidence of asthma in the U.S. was about 5%, mm. and now it's about 9.5% or so. And so I don't think that is just more recognition. I think there, there are actually more things going on. And some people say that um, the sanitation that we do, uh, the immunizations and the cleanliness and everything uh, uh, makes us at risk for immune responses. The body, we have more inflammatory diseases like uh, um, um, arthritis and asthma is an inflammatory disease. So um, that may be part of it. The nutritionist, I know you had um, Sharon Carter on, uh, uh, Janet Carter on recently. Um, the a dietitian who is focused on on asthma can make a remarkable uh, story and explanation that the uh, commonly consumed fats nowadays, like McDonald's French fries, not to be picking on them, right. but they point out that the the fats that are used in fast food are metabolized to uh, or changed in the body to inflammatory uh, molecules, hmm. whereas that wasn't the case previously. And so uh, they point out that the body just is a more turned on, in, inflamed, irritated uh, um, system for the lungs to be affected, for uh, the joints to be affected. And uh, so that may be part of it as well. Gotcha. Got you. And, you know, one thing I want to, you know, two, I got four, four words and I'm gonna give them to you um, in twos. And okay. I want you to kind of distinct what it is. Is asthma hereditary or learned behavior? Um, there is a family, family history or susceptibility to asthma. It is not, uh, uh, absolutely specific in terms of it. Um, I guess it's it's more a tendency, uh, but the and so there are a lot of families where someone in the family has asthma. Um, sometimes it's associated with allergies. It used to be thought that all of asthma was an allergic response to things. That's clearly not the case anymore. Everybody has triggers which set off their lungs, but they're not all allergies. In terms of learned behavior, uh, athletics and physical activity is a crucial area for uh, folks dealing with kids with asthma. There are those who say that if you want to find undiagnosed kids with asthma, just ask the PE teachers or coaches <laughs> who's lazy uh, because uh, it's perceived that uh, if, if you're sitting out um, 
you're you're not not playing and it may be unrecognized asthma that's making it tough because kids who have asthma and have um, exercise as a trigger they feel really horrible when they try to play hard but they don't know that everyone else the kids in their classes or their cousins they don't know that they don't feel that way so they just figure uh, exercise is not for me it makes me feel like something's uh, sitting on my chest. I can't breathe. And so I'm not going to do that. Whereas our expectation <clears throat> is that if you have asthma, we should be, as caregivers, ought to be able to medicate you to the point that you can do anything you want. And that very often is the, the best sign of being able to know that your medicines are where they should be that they're being taken and working well. I discovered um, some years ago that when uh, folks wound up uh, going from middle school to high school, they went to much more strenuous late in the afternoon or early evening activities. And whereas in middle school, they had been stars on medicine, uh, when they got to high school, they were having trouble with evening activities. And what we wound up doing was moving their bedtime dose of uh, controller medicine up to 4.30 or 5 or 5.30, and they would do fine. So I had that happen with foot. It started out with a football player, uh, but I've had it with um, soccer players, basketball, and tennis as well that when you do really um, hard exercise late in the day, it may be tough for that morning dose to get you through that exercise. And so just by shifting the timing of the medicine, that can make a huge difference. Hey, what's up, guys? Check this out. If you're coming into the Charleston area, or maybe leaving at the Charleston area, and you want to avoid long lines and be greeted by friendly, sweet people, go check out Mark over at Avis and Budget Car Rental at 7685 Northwoods Boulevard. When you go see Mark and you mention Triple Threat Podcast, you receive 30% discount on your rental. They also offer compact to large SUVs and vans to rent with quick, easy transaction and check us out and limited mileage on most rentals. So give Mark a call at 843-572-3190. Don't forget to mention Triple Threat Podcast. So I think, um, I think uh, Doc, you should have told that, that that coach that you had asthma problems, so he wouldn't say that you weren't mean enough. You could have used that right. excuse. <laughs> the second, the other two words are disability or disease. Um, the it is it is now viewed as a syndrome, and the reason I say that is because it is different. It had um, 
Baskin Robbins should be a strong supporter of everything asthma because we clearly have 39 flavors of asthma. Everybody has their own individual triggers and circumstances where they get symptoms. Um, so there, there is not a single- Doc, Is that a politically correct description by saying <laughs> syndrome? Because- yes. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the, Continue. the, sin, the sin, use of the term syndrome is something new in the past two or three years. Gotcha. And that's because people are under the research folks are understanding more of the subtleties of when gotcha. this medicine works or that medicine works and trying to uh, make it personalized medicine that um, the patient and the family say, I have this very detailed uh, type of asthma, this medicine is going to be better than the one off the shelf, so to speak. Uh, there still are uh, probably 80% who will respond uh, to kind of the routine things. But um, asthma specialists, whether they're lung doctors or allergists, wind up being really helpful for that other 15 or 20 percent who are having a, a tough time getting under control with their primary care person. Now, before we get into um, the different effects that asthma does in different sports, I, I want to backtrack right quick. And because we're talking about allergy, because you said, you know, lungs or allergy, so is diet a trigger? Are, are certain foods that tr can, can trigger a, um, an attack or can trigger, um, you know, as a young kid, as a toddler, some can trigger them to have it if it's not hereditary? Um, mm -hmm. It certainly, certainly can. Um, it's more common for inhaled allergens like uh, uh, tree um, pollen or okay. uh, dog dander or uh, whatever uh, dust mite uh, stuff to um, cause problems than, than foods. Gotcha. But anybody can, can have that. Um, there are irritants like uh, diesel smoke. Mm. Uh, and so the, in South Carolina, there is a state law that prohibits school buses from idling on school property. Mm. And there's a voluntary program trying to get private individuals to turn off their cars on school property so that kids waiting to be picked up uh, aren't inhaling mm. lungs full of, uh, um, uh, of bad uh, toxic things. Um, so that's, that's part of it. Um, but Whenever someone uh, comes in as a new patient to me, and uh, they, one of the questions would be, "Do I have to get rid of the dog?" And mm -hmm. I say, "We can we can figure that out. We can test to see whether the dog is a likely trigger for your child's asthma. If you want to get rid of the dog, I'm glad to say that you have to get rid of the dog. So I'm the bad guy. But uh, uh, it's one of those things where." Some people have problems, others don't. Um, sometimes every year there's a huge asthma flare when school starts. And um, some people uh, feel that it's when kids get, wind up uh, rolling around on old gym mats. 
And uh, also many of the schools around here have lived through hurricanes and have a lot of dust and mold and that sort mm. of thing. And so there are programs nationally to try to help people in schools have asthma-friendly schools. Gotcha. And, and dealing with different sports, I mean, I'm, it's a rhetorical question, but I'm going to still ask it. A golf player versus a basketball player, and both have asthma. Obviously, high-intense activities would cause you know, the player to have more of attack than a, uh, than a golf player and a, and a basketball player. But what causes that? What causes is this the, the lungs close up because of physical you know, inter, interaction, physical activity? And, 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 and yes, is it true that sports kind of differentiate the attacks between um, people that have asthma? It winds up that um, how fast air is moving through the airways um, mm. plays a role. And also when you do mouth breathing versus nose breathing, mm. the air that gets down in your lungs is more or less humidified. So mm. if you breathe through your nose and the air is moving relatively slowly because you're walking, uh, if you're an archer or a golfer or um, that sort of thing, that's very different from someone who is a basketball player or a soccer player. Gotcha. Um, so I think we see it more among the uh, uh, folks who have high energy, uh, speedy activities. But it's important to know that um, I don't know if you're aware that uh, Michael Phelps has asthma. Yep. yep. Uh, David Beckham has asthma. Um, there, Jackie Joyner Kersey has asthma. There are a lot of uh, really, really top the best athletes who have asthma. And it's said, I've not seen the actual details, but it's said that um, a higher percentage of Olympians have asthma than uh, uh, those who are in the general population. And that may be a sign that they are able to persevere. They have a personality that makes them follow a plan mm -hmm. and do what they need to do and and then by doing that they're able to compete and that same compulsion to do well uh in their medicine does the same for their ac athletic prowess it's called prevention versus treatment yep um so in, in in uh in your retirement um talk about your community involvement talk about the things you're doing in the community father to father um Take us back to some of your community involvement and talk about father to father and, and your involvement in that. Okay. Um, I have dearly loved being retired because I no longer have to worry about uh, call schedules and clinic schedules and uh, 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 how much money we bring into the department and that sort of thing. Um, and it allows me to focus on, on things that I've been passionate about for a while. And so uh, asthma is one of them. And I have, uh, I'm on the board of directors of the Allergy and Asthma Network, which is a national organization uh, trying to help people 
be successful in caring for their children with, with asthma. Uh, one of our goals this year is to um, focus particularly on uh, racial equity in terms of health outcomes. And so we've tried to put together webinars and such uh, on uh, minority populations to realize that COVID is important and that asthma care and allergy care are important. And they're, they're, asthma is an unfair disease uh, racially. Um, in South Carolina, um, there is a five-fold uh, excess of uh, Black people having uh, uh, ER visits and a hospitalization compared to whites. Wow, wow. It, it is present in every county throughout the state, um, ranging from threefold difference and one county one year, it was 160 fold difference in terms of uh, the tragedy or the, the harm for black populations. And then when you add in COVID, having uh, uh, black preponderance for a variety of reasons, and then hesitancy with um, uh, minority populations getting vaccines, that's been something I've been working on recently, trying to get people to uh, uh, take, to understand the need and the safety of taking vaccines. Um, some years ago, probably 10 or 12 years ago, I attended a uh, South Carolina legislative round um, um, town hall meeting out at Trident Tech, and they were asking what things the population, the community felt needed to be done. And I was there to talk about children's health and asthma. And one, the gentleman who spoke after me talked about Father to Father, which I had never heard of before. And that is an organization founded in uh, 1998, I believe. It's a nonprofit that focuses on uh, helping parents, particularly men who are non-custodial parents, to get them reinvolved with their children in a successful way. And so I was so impressed The the state, a lot of the uh, uh, participants have been um, in the justice system because of non-payment of child support. And one of the statements from uh, the gentleman who spoke at that point said that if the legislature would give the um, money that they spend to incarcerate these individuals um, to organizations like Father to Father, he could virtually guarantee that the men involved would virtually never ever be in prison again. And so uh, my wife and I were so impressed that we started making monthly donations to, wow. to that group. And then after I retired, I was asked um, if I'd like to come learn more about it. And I did. And one thing led to another and I joined the board of directors of that. So I'm now um, president of the board of directors to Father to Father. And we are trying to expand um, our um, recognition around the, the area in terms of trying to help uh, particularly non-custodial parents be involved with their kids in positive ways, whether it's reading, uh, helping with homework, playing sports, uh, just being there 
so that even if the parents aren't living together and, and may not even be on the greatest of terms, that uh, every child has two parents uh, who they can relate to and learn from. In this time out message, we got Jamie Jenkins. And so you know what you'll you'll find this you'll find this uh, uh, you'll you'll laugh at this. Just you know, I, and I, I know I'm a lot like you in that we're basketball heads, man. Like For sure. even though I'm removed from playing my playing days, I'm a basketball guy. For sure. And so when I was playing, imagine how much of a basketball head. Like you're just you're reading, trying to figure out who's mm. who. I'm in this new city. Mm. I don't know any. I don't know high school players. I don't know other mm. players. You know, I'm. Just, and I remember being in ROTC, Air Force ROTC one day. And in fact, they gave a, there was an update on Jamel President in the Post and Courier about your recruitment. I think Wyoming, did you commit right. to Wyoming? Wyoming and, and Clemson. I remember the commitment, Wyoming to Wyoming. Clemson. I the commitment to Wyoming. And then I think I saw something happen and then you ended up at the College of Charleston. Like all of this stuff, man, just me trying to formulate who's, what's the pecking order? For who's sure, who, for sure, you for know, sure, who am sure. I going to have to play against? Who, Who's from this city that I need to know? All of those sure. things, man. Now let's get back to the interview. So, Doc, if you had a magic wand and knowing what you know with asthma and, and athletes and, and your history and your knowledge of it, what would be the, a, a perfect program? What would you say what would be a perfect program? What would it include? How long would it last? Who would your target market be and why? That's a challenging question. Uh, I think the, the biggest uh, challenge is to nowadays help kids um, from early on realize that athletics are fun and worth their time, especially compared to video games and screen time. And so not everyone has to be a competitive athlete, but they certainly can be a, a playful athlete. Sure. And we see so much difficulty with obesity and the problems that that leads to. And there's an appropriate concern about not body shaming anybody, uh, but trying to get folks to um, uh, play and have fun outside is really crucial. And as I said, I think the recognition of um, uh, symptoms that would be a tip off for asthma are really important invariably uh, when I see a new patient, I'll ask, um, so how long do your colds last? And they'll say, mm, they really hit her hard, uh, usually about two weeks. And usually the doctor gives an antibiotic and sometimes prednisone. And um, say, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have colds that last three, four, five days and uh, not any of this two-week stuff. And what frequently happens is that those kids have a viral infection as a trigger for their asthma. Mm. The family doesn't know that asthma is in the picture at all. And so they go till the symptoms go away, and that may be two or three weeks out there. And so uh, recognition 
of, of asthma as being treatable is crucial. And then once the diagnosis is made, recognizing that um, participation is crucial and, and possible is really important. There are some families that won't tell uh, the coach that the child does have asthma because right. they're afraid they're not going to get a fair shot right. at playing. And then there are others who wind up saying, oh, my kid can't be in PE because he or she has asthma. Right. And that's just not the case. Um, uh, one of my uh, uh, sickest but most determined patients wound up playing on a travel basketball team in middle school. And he, he ran the legs off many of his competitors, uh, even though he had asthma, but he took his medicine and it got him exactly where we wanted him to be. Right. And I think it's, it's important to get the education because if depending on how young you are as an athlete, parents may think, well, I don't want to chance it because he has asthma. I don't want to cause any problems. Or if that kid is uneducated and they get up to a point where they make their own decision playing sports in high school, they haven't played all in the immediate years. So then they're not, you know, comfortable playing. So I think the education is there. I mean, the education needs to be there on what um, parents and families can, can, can and cannot do when they got that um, symptom or uh, what you call it, the uh, syndrome. Right. One of the things that we find interesting is that when we would see patients in clinic, we would um, give a questionnaire uh, that has uh, um, seven questions on it, four of them to the child and uh, uh, three of them to the parent. And one of the questions is, um, does your asthma ever slow you down in activity? And lots of times the parent would say, I never knew you had any problems with that. I didn't know you couldn't run the full time on in uh, your PE class. And the kid would invariably say, you never asked. Mm. And so there are a lot of things. That's one of the reasons that I think PE teachers and coaches and trainers are so important in terms of trying to find the problems and let the families know he or she is not quite as, as good at that. They seem out of breath. Um, and um, then they need to look and see how the child plays with siblings or cousins on the weekend and then go to their doctor about it. I agree. I agree. He made a name for himself as a star for the College of Charleston basketball teams in the mid to late 90s. And now... Jermel President is doing what he can to make sure that the Charleston area kids have a chance to succeed on the court and in life. So I want to, you know, give some of that back to the community as well. Um, after college and after playing professionally, uh, I started the Day Foundation just to, to be that wealth of knowledge to the kids in the community and, and parents as well. College of Charleston Hall of Famer Jermel President said he saw a need for this while he was in school. So he founded the nonprofit Day Foundation. And his philosophy for success is based on what he calls his oatmeal recipe. Let's go and finish together. Basically teaches the game of basketball, focusing on skills, development, nutrition, and education. Not only SAT, ACT type stuff, but education for parents in how to navigate through the different levels of athletics. Well, Doc, in, in closing, I created something that called the, the oatmeal recipe. And oatmeal recipe is uh, skill development, nutrition, 
and education. And it don't matter you know what sport you play, what career you're in, those three things you have to have in order to be successful. Um, yep. So I want to I want to hear your take on skill development. How important is skill development, and how do you apply it to or had apply have applied to your career? Um, I think that that skill development is is important, um, and um, I think athletes need everybody needs to do things that they enjoy but also get something that pushes them to um, develop uh, somewhat and so someone who likes athletics but really is fascinated by science mm. maybe should go to the math and science charter school mm. uh, for high school um, Others should perhaps go to Oceanside and get uh, part of the day in, in athletic training and that sort of thing. Um, I think that, that um, today's athletes are so amazing at uh, what they can do. It just boggles my mind in all of the sports in terms of how can they do that? Uh, but the vast majority of folks are going to be recreational athletes rather than uh, competitive athletes. And that applies to uh, college as well as later on. So I think that the more people get comfortable and they enjoy um, doing things, even if they're not perfect, um, uh, making a layup and making a good pass is more important necessarily than doing some of the wizardry that you can do on the basketball court. Uh, there are only a few of those, but uh, um, still, I think that, that skill development uh, is important and that is in every area of what you do and actually um, athletics has another thing that we never talk about as skill, and that is teammatemanship mm -hmm. and dealing with a team, dealing with others who are doing the same sorts of things. And that's one of the advantages of being on a team uh, from the earliest time. It doesn't necessarily have to be a travel team, but um, when I was in, in Los Angeles, my kids were of an age that I wound up coaching them. And I was always an assistant coach rather than the head coach because I could never promise that I would be there for all the, the time frames. But um, I, I just dearly enjoyed being able to be out on the field with kids who had families and the skills and the, the physical uh, abilities to be able to be out there doing something. And uh, I think my kids wished I focused more on winning, um, but I was just more focused on learning and doing things well and having fun while doing it. Exactly. <clears throat> well, our second topic is nutrition. And you already stated that, you know, that's really not a trigger when it comes to the syndromes. Let's, let's take it to the next level, level of food for thought. And, 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 and you having the, your career and knowledge, um, you have to feed your mind, you have to feed your energy in order to have patience and, and deal with, you know, uh, things in your craft. How important was that to, um, when you're talking about nutrition and feeding your mind with, with good information? That's, that's crucial. And, and uh, the point we talked about for a bit earlier in terms of educating the uh, patient and the family 
uh, is is crucial in terms of being successful. And so uh, the youngster needs to know that this is going to be their uh, condition going forward. And it doesn't do any good to, for the parent to get, get the child to age 12 uh, under good control if the child never takes any medicine going forward. And there are enough conflicts uh, between uh, parents and teens that we want to try to make sure that um, medicines are not part of that so that uh, we uh, would frequently, um, when, when teens would get to be 13 or 14, we would start meeting with them uh, by themselves mm. um, so that it was, we would tell the parent after the session what the, the teen said, how they were doing, what, how we put it together and what we did management wise but we really wanted it to become the teens condition syndrome uh, disorder and they were totally responsible other than going to the pharmacy for the refills mm. um, so that there would not be a no you can't make me take it um, situation where uh, many teens fall into that with their parents and we tried very hard to get medicines out of that situation and so that is part of what we would do to educate uh, the minds of our patients in terms of how they needed to to deal with it right and you, you just basically segued into the last topic was in education and you know getting that getting that information into to the hands of the families and the student athletes and the and the people that you know have the syndrome um what tell the audience like what are some some resources or some projects programs out there that they can tap into that can help them educate themselves about the syndrome um the uh probably the the most user-friendly source is the um allergy and asthma network nationally they have an incredible uh, uh, library of resources uh, for folks to to get and um, so um, i believe that is um, allergy and asthma uh, dot allergy and asthma network dot org um, but you can find anything that you need with respect to that uh, and they have um, uh, state and local connections. Um, the, another place to start is talking to the child's doctor in terms of um, what things, um, how much of a problem this is, because um, it is currently uh, I mentioned about uh, not having to worry about clinic schedules now that I'm retired. And it drives me crazy that a typical, to stay on clinic schedules nowadays, pediatricians have 17 minutes or something like that right. to deal with the patient. And they need to talk about immunizations, behavior development, everything. And there's no time to get to full explanation about asthma, which is what I feel is the way for it to be successfully treated, that you educate the parent so that they can talk to uh, the non-custodial parent who gets them on every other weekend 
or to the grandparent who looks after them after school. Because if they get sick, it's those people who may be involved in a life or death situation. When do I call the ambulance and that sort of thing. So education is uh, a key feature. And um, unfortunately, a lot of today's doctors are so busy with so many priorities that they don't take the time they don't feel the confidence to to train the the family right <clears throat> but doc after after this conversation and working on our our project i know i i know exactly what what the missing loop is and it's, it's education it's education getting that information to to families and you know like the kids and student athletes as well like you said before if if a kid go to a uh, a family member or you know someone else that's that's you know uh, taking care of them and they have an, a, an attack they don't know what to do so right the education yep. is very very important you very might important. be interested to know that i'm working on a committee to revise the um, expectations or the requirements for athletic trainers with respect to uh, yes, uh, asthma so um, that's a project that's in, in the works for uh, the National Athletic Trainers Association. That's what's up. That's awesome. Well, big guy, I appreciate your time today. I, I think the audience you know, definitely appreciate all that, that knowledge you gave today. And, you know, it's, it's really a blessing to, to, to get the information to have you, you know, uh, tell about it on my podcast. I appreciate that. Very glad to do it. I appreciate being invited and um, I look forward to working with you in terms of creativity to uh, reach out to the, the community in uh, new and different ways to, to encourage folks to be successful and have fun with what they're doing. Yes, sir. I'm all, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Well, you uh, enjoy the rest of your day and I uh, appreciate, appreciate your time as well. Glad to. Thanks a lot. We'll see you. Yes, sir. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. There it goes. Another one in the books. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Bowman for coming on and, and sharing his wealth of knowledge with the audience and the student athletes. Um, next, coming up, we got Mr. Eric Watson. Um, very, very interesting interview. We talk about um, the current things that's going on in our society, which is uh, you know, police in America, um, the effects of that, um, how he too um, coming up had some some issues and overcame that. So um, very, very, very interesting interview. Can't wait to get into it. All right. Be right back. What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes, first of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermel is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program. Because these are the kind of things that every community needs. Looking out for the best interest of a youth. The future of this country is in our youth. And everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful. And, and I can't express 
adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing, and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.